0: This is the word of Christ. We are in a series. It's entitled, Where Does Following Jesus Lead? Right, the idea is, if you follow Jesus, where is he leading you? Where is he going? And if you're going to follow him, where is that going to mean you're going? What are his expectations for your life? You know, some people ask the question, what is God's will? Right? What is God's will for my life? And last week, we saw that God's will is not a point. But it's a circle, okay? It's not this perfect individual, like there's only one perfect will of God for your life, but rather it's a circle. It's a circle. God makes it really clear what he expects, um, what he desires for our lives, and he creates this circle of blessing, and he invites us into this circle. And as we live in this circle, we have this wonderful freedom within the circle to do whatever our hearts desire, right? We saw all that last week. And... Today, what we're going to look at is that if God's will is a circle, then God's ways are a path. Okay? God's ways are a path. And so when you enter into the circle of God's will, you will find that God is actually moving somewhere. He is heading in a direction. He's heading along a path. And this path, this path, this way of God is defined by God's instruction. Okay, you can know God's path by God's instruction and his wisdom and is defined by God's laws. Okay, the path is defined by God's laws. These are his ways, his commands, his wisdom, his testimony. Right? These are the things that will teach you when you follow Jesus where he's leading. Okay? Now, there's two wrong ways to respond to God's laws. Okay, there's two wrong ways to respond. I know with some of you, when you hear the idea of God's laws, there's things that all, like, automatically sort of crop up in your head. There's two wrong ways to respond to God's laws. Um, first is to ignore them. Okay, the first way, this is by introduction, is just to ignore God's laws. And people do this usually because they think real happiness comes from being free from moral constraints. Right? They feel like laws... are are judgmental, they're oppressive, and in their search for freedom, they want to sort of remove all shackles so that they can just pursue whatever they want. The problem with that is that in a search for freedom like that, you end up enslaved to the desires of your heart. Okay? If you want freedom to act any way you want in relationships, you will end up being enslaved to your own selfishness. And so the freedom that you pursue, you end up not experiencing. There's really no freedom there, and there's no happiness there. And so ignoring God's laws is one way people respond. The second wrong way that people respond is that they try to keep God's laws without a relationship with God. Okay? People try to keep God's laws without a relationship with him. And people tend to do this because they think that it's their morality that saves them. They think that being a good person is what will make them happy. And I think, again, the experience of that is is fleeting. Um, Being a good person um, doesn't actually, can't actually make you happy. People who seek morality without God also, they tend, it's not necessarily the laws that are judgmental and oppressive, but the people become judgmental. And oppressive, right? There's an arrogance about people who are all about keeping God's laws, right? This is the big problem that I think we have rightly with religion, you know, with religion. And so, now against both of those wrong ways, like Jesus would say, both of those ways are wrong. To ignore God's laws or to treat God's laws as though you can save yourself by keeping them without a relationship with God, Jesus says both are wrong. What Jesus says, he says, In me you find forgiveness for your law breaking. Okay. If you break the laws, you can find forgiveness in me. And in me, you find the purpose of the laws. God's laws are designed to lead you into a relationship with me. That's the purpose of the laws. And so this psalm, Psalm 19, it shows us the way of Jesus. It shows us the pathway for us. It shows us that... um, It shows us how to meet Jesus on the path that ultimately leads to a life of abundance. Okay, it's a life of abundance. And so this psalm invites us to see some things that will help us know where the path of Jesus leads. Okay? And so we're going to see first. This is the first uh, first line there on your your handout on page 7. The first thing this psalm invites us to see is to see life in God's world. Okay? Okay? This psalm teaches us to see life in God's world. And this is verses 1 to 6. You have to know, and I hope that as we read these verses, there is life in God's world. Okay, there is real life. Right? The glory, the beauty, the variety, and the abundance. These things all show that God and his ways are designed to bring life life. I'm talking about real life where you are thriving, where you are flourishing. God's world is designed to bring life, and we can see that. Verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The glory of God. That's the impressiveness of His presence. Right? Have you ever been around a famous person? You know, that feeling that you get around them, right, I think that's, that's, that's one way to understand glory, right? They have a glory about them when you know what they've done, you know, the impressive accomplishment that they have made or who they are, what you know, the status, or the, um, there, it sort of it gives us a sense of glory. And what this verse is saying is that when you look at the heavens, when you look up, you can see how awesome, how awe-inspiring God is. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. You look up and you see, wait, I mean, literally, it's the work of his hands, right? His handiwork. You can see what God has made. Verse 2, it just continues. Day to day pours out speech. And the idea here is, look around during the day, and you can see all that God has made. Right? It pours out. It's like this bubbling spring that just pours forth how good and how wonderful the Creator is. You look around. Don't you see it? Right? How powerful He is. How creative He is. How kind. How benevolent. How abundant His goodness is shown in creation. Right? There is food and God provides rain to water the ground. Right? It shows us his goodness. Days bring this irrepressible bubbling up of God's goodness. And nights do too. Night to night reveals knowledge. As I was thinking about that, you know, without the night, we'd only see, if we look up, blue sky, clouds, which are impressive. Um, we'd only see the sun and sometimes the moon. Right? We might be tempted to think that the universe out there is empty. But then night comes. Right, And if you think that God is amazing, if you think God's goodness and his wonder, his awe-inspiring nature is manifested on this earth, then night comes. When you can't see anything on earth and you're caused to look up. And oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? Right? The night, it reveals knowledge about the immensity and the wonder of the universe that goes on and on and on and on and on. And we don't even have numbers that make sense to us. Right? To try to describe the universe. And so nights pour forth knowledge. They reveal knowledge, not just about the universe, but about the creator, the immensity and the wonder of the God who created this. And I love what verse 3 and 4 say. It says basically everyone can see this. Everyone can see this. You just have to be willing to look. I feel like when I come across <clears throat> verses like this in the Bible, where it's talking about creation and what it shows about God, I mean, Louis Armstrong's Wonderful World, it brings these words to life. Right? I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. What a wonderful world. I mean, I love that song because of its words, right? It's this amazing way of encapsulating everything in just a few words. But I also love the pace of the song, right? Louis's not in a hurry it's like he's sort of ambling and wandering through creation, right? He's slowing down to dwell on it and to celebrate it. That's for us. Everyone can see this if you're willing to look. If you're willing to look. That's what the psalmist does. That's what he's doing here. And in his celebration, I just got to point out one other thing to you. He personifies the sun with this amazing, wonderful imagery in verses 4 to 6. Right, it says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. This is just, this is just good poetry. right? Even translated, it still speaks. It's, it's, the sun comes out in glorious joy, to celebrate the new day. Think about that the next time you see the sun rise. The sun is coming out in glorious joy to celebrate a new day. And the psalmist says, it's just like the groom coming out of the bedroom after his wedding night saying, oh yeah! I am taking this world by storm. There is nothing I can't do. Right? That's what he's saying here. That's, what, that's, the, that's the image. Right? And he's like a strongman. He can conquer the world. He can conquer the world. He is ready to embrace life with joy. That's what the psalmist sees when he sees the sun. What do you see? What do you see? What do you love most about the world? Right? Is it is it the sun? Is it the beach? Mountains, forests, cliffs, waves? People? As you observe these things, as you look, as creation moves you, it's an invitation to see the creator God who made it all. And who has designed every good thing as a gift to you? Like, that's what it's for. It's a gift for you to enjoy and so that you would know Him in it. God wants to fill your life with light and warmth, with knowledge, glory, honor, and goodness. You want to see life in the world so that you can see the author of that life. The first six verses of this psalm. Now, there may be in some of you sort of a rising cynicism a little bit, right? Because the beauty and the glory and the goodness doesn't tell the whole story of our world, does it? Right? You almost have to zoom out, you know, like in Google Earth. Right? You've got to zoom out to really see the beauty sometimes, which sometimes means you've got to sort of remove yourself from what goes on day to day. Um, I mean, every day we are confronted with so many things that are broken, right? so much in the world that's not the way it should be. You know, we get cynical sometimes when we hear glowing descriptions of the world because we know better, right? our lives, you know, we might see this, but our experience doesn't match up with this description. I think we all do. We have a hard time feeling close to God, right? We struggle in our relationships with other people, right? Relationships are tough. We don't always say the right things. We don't always do the right things. We struggle being wise stewards of what God has made, right, of the creation, And we know what's inside of ourselves. We're not really happy with ourselves often. Now, what do we do about that? How does that account? How do we account for that in this effort to try to appreciate the goodness of God's world and the life that comes from it? I think God's response to this is, you feel this way when you've left the path. The reason you feel this way is because you've left the path individually, but also as a human race. Like, we have all left God's path, and that is what's brought about the brokenness of our world. I was talking to a friend yesterday who's not a Christian, and it was so interesting because we started talking about about parenting, and just he's telling me about his son. And, uh, and then we got into discussions about other things and kind of leaving a legacy and how do you raise your kids and how do you deal with the world. And, and then he said this. He said, you know, I don't really like the idea of original sin. He just brought it up. I'm like, okay. Um, he's like, th- this idea that we all have this problem of being broken. But, and again, this is him talking, when I look at the world and everyone I know, I don't, know how I, can, I don't know how I can conclude anything else. For him, he said, you know, the problem is internal and it's also universal. I think he's right. We are the reason why the world is broken. Now, into that, the good news is that God is fixing what is wrong with the world. Okay? The goodness of God that inspired and created all this wonder, all the things that you love, God has that same attitude, that same disposition. He is so for you and for the world that he is in the process of bringing restoration to it. God is redeeming this world, restoring this world. He is fixing what is wrong with the world. And the double good news is, that he wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to participate in his efforts to fix what's wrong with the world. God's desire, God's pathway, God's will for you, God's ways for you are that you would be part of the solution. Like That's God's heart. He wants us to refill the world with his goodness and his shalom, his peace that touches everything. So how can we be a part of this? Right? How can you jump in on that, right? There's all sorts of things that are clambering for your attention. All kinds of people. I mean, your work wants you to be a certain way. Your family wants you to be a certain way. Your friends want you to be a certain way. I don't think anything compares to this. God wants you to help him to be a part of his plan to redeem and restore what is broken in this world. That's huge. That's huge. So how do we get involved in this? Well, this is why he gave us the Bible. This is why we have the Bible. The Bible exists because God wants to teach us how we can be part of what he's doing in the world. Okay? And so this leads us to our second point. We've got to see life in God's world. Our second point is that we need to see life in God's word. Okay? Pull out the L. Right? Life in God's world, we also see life in God's word. And this is verses 7 through 10. Because when we left the path, God speaks up to lead us back. Okay? That's what God's laws are for they are designed to bring us back to him and to his restored purpose for our lives. Okay? That's why God gave laws. Okay? I just want you to know that. God gave laws so that you could come back to him and be restored to this glorious position of honor in his world. That means the laws are good news. Okay? Okay? God wants us to experience his shalom and he wants us to be the kind of people who increase shalom in the world for others. And so verses 7 through 10, they tell us actually there's six things that are stated here about God's word. Okay, If you look at verse 7 and it says the law of the Lord, that word law, it's not just the commands. Okay, It's much broader than that. It's not just the do's and the don'ts. It's not just the Ten Commandments. Okay, we know this because if you read down um, in verse 8, it says the commandment of the Lord is pure. Okay, so commandment is just one kind of, is one part of God's law. Okay, the big overarching umbrella, if you want to know what God's law is, it's his instruction. Okay, it's God's instruction. It's what he thinks. It's, It's how he acts. It's who he is and what he says. It includes everything that's in the Bible. And it does some amazing things. Right? If you want to know why the Bible is so important, you don't have to go beyond verses 7-10. through 10. Right? Look what it says. We can't look at all six of these things. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So, God's word gives us new life. Right? If you feel dead in your life, if you feel empty, if you feel weak, if you feel dirty, if you feel alone or isolated, God's law is designed to revive you. That's what it does. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Man, this is good news. The testimony of God, the Bible is designed to train us for growth. It's designed to train you. So that in the areas where you don't think the way God does, you can learn to think the way God does. You can become as wise, you can become wise in a way that resembles God's wisdom. Okay, The Bible is designed. It says in uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, there are things about the Lord that you'll never, ever know. But what has been revealed is for us and for our children. So God wants you to know how he thinks. He wants you to become wise. Then the next, uh, next line, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God, the the Bible, it brings joy to your heart. You can read this book, and there are things in this book that will make you so happy that nothing in your circumstances can take it away. What are those things? We're going to talk about that in just a sec. But I mean, the Bible makes us happy. Its design is to make us happy. And then just the, the next one, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So again, here we have, like, it gives us revelation. It helps us to see things that we could not see, would not see. So how does it do these things? Right? I mean, okay, I'll admit it. There have been times when I've sat down with the Bible and read it, and my soul didn't feel revived. Right? Right? There's times where I've sat down with the Bible and left not feeling like I was wiser than when I sat down. So how does it do this? Right, what is the pathway to have this work in our own hearts and lives? Well, um, what it does, what the instruction of the Lord does, is it leads us to the path of where God is. Okay? Okay? it invites us back to God in our lives because every verse reveals something about God okay every verse teaches us who God is i mean verses 1 to 6 right we see how amazing he is these verses teach us that this is this God who is good and kind and benevolent and abundant and creative you know this is who God is And by reading this, we have an opportunity to say, do I want to connect with that God? Do I want to express myself in a relationship? Do I want a relationship with that God? And so the Bible will lead us back to him. It's interesting. One thing I want you to notice in verses 7 through 10 is there's a word that's repeated six times. It's the word Lord. You see that in all capitals? Is it in all caps? Yeah, in all caps. If I were you, I would circle the word Lord every time you see it. You'll have six circles in your Bible or in the bulletin. This is the word for Lord that speaks about God's relationship with us. Okay? This isn't just the law of God. Okay? Okay? If it said the law of God, what we would think is the law of the creator. The one who created all things has given a law, and this, is, and this ought to govern um, what we think and what we do. What the word Lord does, the, the word Lord there, this is God when he reveals himself in a covenant relationship with people. Okay, and so what this is saying is the law of the covenant-keeping God. Is perfect. And the point, the takeaway for that is that you need to realize that when God speaks to you, when God gives laws or commands or instruction or wisdom, when He speaks to you, He's doing it out of the context of a relationship. God doesn't want you to hear His commands or laws and think, oh, I got to obey these in order to make God happy. This is the law of the Lord. The Lord wants you in a relationship with him. He wants you to be his child. He wants to be your heavenly father so that he can lavish grace and blessing and forgiveness on you. That's where it starts. The beginning of our relationship with God, it begins with forgiveness, cleansing, and adoption. Okay? And the word Lord here calls those things to mind. It's a reminder that we don't do these things. We don't obey the laws to earn a relationship with God. But the gospel says we have a relationship with God first. And it's because of God's love that we follow him in his ways. Does that make sense? Super important. And so God's laws, his instruction, it leads us to the path where God is, right? It invites us back in to where he is. And it does that through forgiveness. It does that through cleansing. But then it changes us to become like him. Okay? When you read commands in Scripture, when you read the laws of God, when you read this, the design of the laws are to tell you about what God is like. Right? This is the kind of God that he is. God says things, the, the, the stuff God says to do and not do, it's true that these are things that God would do or wouldn't do in life. Right? God, so for the first of the Ten Commandments, right? Have no other gods before me. Right? So don't worship any other god. Um, that is a revelation of what God would do when he's on earth. If God were a human being, like Jesus, um, God, you know, Jesus never, ever worshipped another god. So the laws tell us what God would do on earth. But they also reveal who God is. Okay? All of the laws are designed to reveal who God is. They're all based on God's moral character. And so God says don't worship any other gods because God himself is faithful. God loves you, and is faithful to you. God never lets anything get in the way of his devotion to you. And that's why he says don't worship anybody else but me. Okay, Um, God says don't steal not just because Jesus never stole but because God is the respecter of property God actually wants to champion your right to own things that belong to you and so not only would he never steal from you but he'd want to protect your stuff that's who he is does that make sense? Right, um, God says don't murder, not just because Jesus wasn't going to murder or didn't murder anybody, but because at the heart of God is the promotion of life. The celebration and the protection of life. And so when you read the laws of God, when you see God's desire and God's will revealed in the laws, you got to realize that these are telling you about who God is. The reason that is important is because the gospel says, this is good news, the gospel says that when you put your faith in Jesus, not only does Jesus die for your sins and take away the punishment that your sins deserve, but Jesus also comes and dwells in your heart. You have the presence of God himself living in you. And so everything that God is, in terms of his character, is now in you. You have to, I mean, this is what the Bible says, right? Galatians 2.20 is one of the places. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. There you go. Galatians 2.20. So we have Jesus living inside of us. Now, you have to understand that. You've got to believe that for you to experience it. And so, every time you read a law in the Bible, every time you read a command in the Bible, every time you read something that, is, that, that shows you what God is like, you can know that that is what you are like in terms of what God has made you to be in Jesus. The laws show you who you are in Christ. So if you lack strength, if you lack patience, if you lack love, if you lack kindness, if you lack self-control, here's what you do. You confess that to God. You say, God, I lack patience. I lack kindness. I lack love. I lack self-control. Lord, I'm sorry. And then you remember that Jesus is in you. And Jesus has perfect love and perfect patience, perfect kindness, and perfect self-control. Whatever you need, Jesus did it perfectly. He was it perfectly. He is it perfectly. And he's living in you. And so you say, Lord, I don't have the patience for this, but Jesus does, and he is in me. Help me to draw from his patience. When you think about that, it will cause patience to well up in your heart. When you think about the fact that Jesus is in you and all that he is is now in you, you will have love that you've never had before. You will have patience that you've never had before. And so the laws become this revelation, not just of who God is, but who you are if you're trusting in Jesus. And so God's, God's laws, they lead us back to God, where we find God. They change us to become like him. And then his laws send us out on the path of life. They send us out. They give us direction and meaning and significance. God sends us out and says, go love people. Whatever you've experienced from me, share with somebody else. Right? Go care about folks. Go show them my love. Go work. Go work in this world that I created and make it even more beautiful than it was before. And so in these ways, we see life in God's word. Right? There's life in God's world. There's life in God's word. I mean, this is really just a testimony to us to spend time in this book. And if you don't spend time reading this, understanding it, looking at it, um, you're not going to grow. You just won't. So our last point. After seeing life in God's world, life in God's word, our third point is that we see life in God's warning. Life in God's warning. This is verses 11 through 14. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. I mean, this, and see, you've got to realize, this is the end of this sermon, okay? I think most people see the laws of God and they feel the warning piece first. You don't want to do that. You want to go to the Lord first. You want to go to God first, the good God who made the world, who loves you and cares for you and wants you to join him in his work, right? And after you've experienced this relationship with him, then comes the warning, right? Then comes the warning. There is an implicit warning from all of God's laws. Because God's laws are also designed to help us know when we've left the path. Right? Leaving the path does not lead to life, because leaving the path is leaving God. When we sin, we cut ourselves off from God. And so we're going to cut ourselves off from all of the goodness and the joy and the happiness that this world can offer. Because he's the source of it all. And so there's a warning there. There's great blessing if you follow uh, in this path that God has laid out. If you have a relationship with God, right, there's incredible blessing there because you will experience this life that God has, the blessings that God has. And your experience will continue to get better the farther down the path you walk. The longer you stay on the path, the more of God's life you will experience, and where it ends up is the end of verse 14, God will be for you a rock. Right? It says there, O oh Lord, my rock. My rock. God, as you follow him, doesn't mean that life is perfect. Doesn't mean that everything in your life works out perfectly. But what it does mean is that because you have a relationship with God, God is your rock. He ends up as your stabilizing presence. Because you know, no matter what is going on in your life, You have a relationship with God. You're following him. You know, your heart's desire is to serve him, right? You're trying to follow him in your life. And God will be for you a rock. He'll be a stabilizing presence throughout your life. You will have his peace in every circumstance. You will know that even though all this stuff is going on, God is with you and his peace is there with you it produces this steadfast confidence that you know what? I don't know anything else that's going on, but I know that God is for me. That he is my rock. And he's also my redeemer. That's the last thing that we see. God is my redeemer. And so what this means is that when we wander off the path, every time we wander off the path, that God is present to bring us back. Okay, I love the honesty here of the psalmist. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Right, it's like the psalmist says, I know I'm broken. <laughs> man, but I don't even know the depth of my own brokenness. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. It's like he's saying, you know what, there's stuff I'm doing, I know I'm doing, I know I'm wrong, and I don't even know what it is. Because that's how deep my brokenness goes. And he's just crying out to God for mercy. He says, Lord, forgive me for the sins that I don't know or can't can't even remember. Um, And in verse 13, he says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And, And what I like about this is that it seems like in verse 12, the psalmist is saying, I'm guilty, and I need forgiveness. And then in verse 13, the psalmist is saying, man, stuff's got power over me in my life, and I need freedom. I'm guilty, and I'm enslaved. I'm guilty, and I'm enslaved. When we walk off the path, when we live off the path, that's what we experience. We experience guilt and enslavement. The psalmist cries out that God would be the answer, and God responds to Jesus, right? Every time you read the Bible, there are, there are hints, there are visions of Jesus that you can find if you're willing to look. And in this psalm, in Psalm 19, God responds um, to the plea for forgiveness, to the plea for power to overcome enslavement um, through Jesus, Right? If the son is like the groom, leaving his chamber in joy, um, running his course, Jesus is the groom of the church. Right? Jesus thinks that the church is his bride. And Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her so that she would be spotless, so that her guilt would be removed. And Jesus is now running throughout the earth by his Spirit, coming to each one of your lives to give you the power that you need to set you free. Right? It's his cross where we find forgiveness. It's his resurrection where we find the answer to sin's power in our lives. If he was raised from the dead, he has overcome sin and death. And when you believe in him, you receive that power. That is power that you receive. It's power that he gifts to you, so that you can grow. It's his cross, and it's indwelling spirit that enables us to come back to the path when we leave it. So if you're here, and you're a Christian, and you've left the path, the cross is the way back. Jesus will love you. He will come after you. The cross is like the bridge that brings you back onto the path. And if you're here, and you're not a Christian, and the cross is your way in the cross is the way for you to start a relationship with God because that's where you find forgiveness. And as you trust in him, confess your sins, just like the psalmist said, confess your sins, God will forgive you and he will give you the strength of his own son, Jesus, to enable you to grow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word that teaches us how to look at creation and be blessed by it. Lord, your goodness has been so clearly revealed. Your power, your immensity. Lord, we see it all in creation. And yet we see your glory shine even brighter when you came to walk this earth, when you joined us here to show us the path that leads to life. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us, that you would help us all to see that your ways lead to life, both in this life and forever. Help us to trust you, Lord. Bring us back in the areas of our lives where we have strayed and left the path. And fill us again with your presence so that we would experience your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.